All right, y'all, thanks for tuning in. I am talking today about the blockchain. For some of you, you already are familiar with the term blockchain and everything else that usually goes along with it. <laughs> but for some of you who are tuning into this podcast, it's totally new. And um, maybe you've never even heard of it and you're like, what is that? I'm talking about it today because the blockchain is a fundamental um, the fundamental technology that is powering a movement. It started in 2008 and has only continued to grow until today and continues to grow and get stronger and stronger. It, it has everything to do with sovereignty. It has everything to do with freedom. Now, some of you have heard of blockchain and you usually... Um, you usually associate it with cryptocurrencies. Now there's a reason for that. We're gonna dive into that. And when I say those two terms, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, maybe it conjures up in some of you a scamminess, uh, a just kind of you know, your Facebook inbox being full from you know, messages from foreigners promising you riches if you just, you know, send them a wire transfer of money and then they'll trade the cryptocurrencies for you and and send you a million dollars back, right? So um, that that's like uh, that you know if you have valid reasons to think that because there's been plenty of scams like that that have been that have also grown in popularity with the movement of blockchain. Today in this episode, I want to briefly discuss blockchain technology, why I believe sincerely that it has a lot to do with sovereignty what you should know about it. And we're gonna pull back the curtain a little bit um, to understand a little bit more about it. Okay, so this is not, what, what you're not gonna hear, you're not gonna hear like some kind of investment advice or like the hot, the hot tips or something of you know altcoins or cryptocurrencies to buy or trade, sell, whatever. No, this is a discussion on, like I said, a technology that's fueling a movement that has everything to do with sovereignty. Okay, so let's dive right in. And I'm gonna start by by telling you about a book that I, I really enjoy. So I my I have a younger brother who introduced me to this book, and I'm so glad he did. Um, the, the book is Atlas Shrugged. The author is Ayn Rand, and Ayn Rand wrote the book a long time ago. I'm, I'm forgetting the date, but I wanna say it, it was in you know, pre-World War II, maybe just barely post-World War II, something like that. So I, I want to say maybe the 1950s. Um, I, you know, I, I probably should know this off the top of my head, but it it was a long time ago, okay? Um, you know, 70 years ago, maybe maybe 100 years ago. It might have been, it might have been as early as the 1920s. I can't, I can't, I can't remember, but certainly not in the modern times. <laughs> so Ayn Rand wrote this book, and in the book, it takes place, so again, let's just say it's the 1950s and uh, say she's writing about the United States in the year 2000. And, and so it's kind of her perception of what the future would be. Now, you know, we're 22 years after that, so we kind of know what the year 2000 actually was, but her perspective was that in the year 2000, um, there there was going to be over the years like the decades in between 1950s and the year 2000 there would be a lot of growth in the central government 
there would be um, you know, a super strong central government. It would continue to expand and get bloated and add on more government programs. And a lot of those were entitlement programs or um, you know, espionage programs, big brother type programs. And, and in her book, what had happened was uh, the current state of things in the United States is really difficult to function as a producer. And so you almost have a small group of producers, like capitalists, like people who they, they know manufacturing, they know finance, they understand investment, they understand technology and innovation, and they're trying, they're actively seeking to make the world a better place. Um, you know, so you have these titans of industry that you know, invented a new kind of steel that's cheaper to make and better to use, and so it like allows them to to build a lot of infrastructure. And you have other producers that are you know cr- coming up with creative ways to travel. And anyway, so you have this world where there's a small group of true capitalists, true producers, and that is shrinking. And the reason is because the majority of people are um, they're kind of addicted to government entitlement programs and handouts, or like you should get a job and a title because you deserve it, because it's fair, right? Um, so it's like really the opposite of a meritocracy, right? It's like, it does, it's irrelevant how good you are at a thing, what talents, what experiences that you have. The only thing that matters is how fair this is. <laughs> and so, you know, a, a capitalist, in Ayn Rand's you know, year 2000 society version of America, you'll have a capitalist, they take an enormous risk, they invest in a new technology, they go through lots of failures and losing lots of money till they finally land you know, a, a successful venture. And because of the risk and the years of, of losing money, they now are able, because they've actually gotten it right, you know, they, they've they've created the great product with the great distribution networks and good marketing, um, you know, they smash it out of the park. And so like everybody loves their thing, everyone needs their thing, they buy it and they make a lot of money, right? That's capitalism, okay? The, the market has rewarded them for their efforts. Um, but in that society, when people see the capitalists making money, they're like, whoa, 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 that's not fair that, you know, you make more money than me, and so we're just going to come up with this new program to, you know, take a little bit of your wealth away so you can give it to me to make this more fair, right? And that's happening, like, left and right in the book, and and as you could imagine, it's extremely frustrating for the capitalists um, who just, who realize that their power, uh, their influence to like impact laws that protect their businesses and enterprises and, and their wealth that they've worked so hard for and it, like their, their influence to create like an ecosystem that rewards them is just dwindling. And so in this vacuum of, uh, of like, you know, true producers, well, sorry, not, it's not really a vacuum yet, but in this struggle, um, there's a man who's also a capitalist and he starts kind of secretly visiting one-on-one with the with all the different you know titans of industry, the, the true producers, the capitalists. And he makes them an offer. He says, hey, look, and this is a spoiler alert, so if you read the book, 
it's, this is going to kind of like spoil some stuff for you. But <laughs> uh, if you don't want to read the book, then that's okay. Uh, I'm just going to spoil it for you here. But what his offer is, it's like, hey, look, I've purchased a bunch of land outside of Denver or somewhere in the Rockies. It's, I think it's somewhere around Denver, Colorado. Um, the government doesn't know about it. It's off the grid. It's like, you know, we have thousands and thousands of acres. And we even have like a, the special technology that creates like a cloaking system right so like no one can find it unless you know it's there basically and my offer to you is right here and right now right when we're done with this conversation that you walk away from everything here you walk away from your enormous corporation all your employees your mansion your wealth because you and i both know the government is going to come steal that from you any day now and you walk away from it like stop stop propping up the world stop you know, making money just so they can take it away and, and give it to undeserving people. Um, and that's his offer. He's like, right when we're done for this conversation, you either, you either say no to my offer and you never, like, I won't visit you again and you're basically out, or you can walk away from everything right now and come join me in my exclusive, you know, property in Denver and we'll have a society, we'll kind of rebuild our own society of capitalists. And uh, yes, you're going to be starting over, but you can rest assured you're starting over in a society that rewards your ingenuity, rewards your hard work, rewards your risk. It's a true meritocracy. What do you say? And one by one, all the producers say yes. And so the main character is a lady named Daphne. She's also a, a CEO of a company. And, um, and for whatever reason, she's she's on the list to be invited, but she's not high on the list. And so um, all she knows is that one by one, her friends or associates, the other capitalists that she's aware of and like has a lot of, a lot of respect for and high regard, one by one, they start disappearing without a trace. And, and so she's like really concerned. And so she starts investigating, uh, but they've done a really good job of kind of not leaving any sort of trail or clues. And so, She's investigating, but it, it, she keeps you know, bumping against dead ends. And so the book is kind of like her trying to figure out what's happening to everyone. Like why, why are all the capitalists vanishing? Where are they going? Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's kind of the story. And I, so I highly recommend it. Um, I'm not quite done. I'll, I'll tell you more of the punchline uh, in a minute, but I'll just say like the story itself is actually quite long. <laughs> the audiobook I think is like 30 hours or something. And uh, so it's really long and, and the only, they, they do have an abridged version. I recommend the unabridged version just so you like you get all the nitty gritty details and the, the world that Ayn Rand has created, um, her version of, of the United States, right? Because uh, I think it's really insightful. Uh, the reason I was able to knock it out in, in a short amount of time, because I read the book in like three days, but I, 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 um, I was hospitalized, and uh, and so I had to stay in the hospital for three whole days, and, and do nothing basically um, while I was recovering from, from, you know, from an illness that was. Know, kind of alarming and, and concerning and so anyway I, I was in the, I was hospitalized for three days but I was able I was of sound mind right I was lucid so um, my brother had just introduced me to this book and uh, and so I I spent these whole three days in the hospital reading it or listening to the audio version <laughs> um, 
so back to the story what what happens Daphne it, she makes a couple of bold moves and breakthroughs in her investigation and, and is able to find out where all the capitalists are going and she goes there and again it's this like really secret exclusive uh, property somewhere near Colorado like in Denver uh, well, like in the mountains near Denver, Colorado. And um, the person who bought it, who owned it, who's like the founder, he's also the same guy who's kind of secretly going out recruiting all the capitalists. His name is John Galt. And so he's named this property after himself, Galt's Gulch. Um, and ultimately in the book, like the capitalists, the offer is so irresistible because they they realize that the nation is like a sinking ship. Like the capitalists are propping it up. And, and just like the, the people who are addicted to entitlement programs are like leeches and they're just like sucking all the money and all the opportunity and, and, and frankly, all the fun out of like wanting to be a capitalist, you know? <laughs> and so life become, like is kind of dull and meaning, meaningless and the struggle like stops making sense. And so they, they get tired of propping up the nation and they leave. And in doing so, the people who are left all of a sudden realize, holy smokes, if all the capitalists leave, you know, we've been kind of pontificating like, you know, this program ought to matter and like, you know, green energy this and tree hugger that and um, you know, like, what do you call it? Like, uh, you know, woke, woke culture, this and, um, whatever, right. It's just like unreasonable thing that it's just like r really crazy ideas that while the capitalists are there propping them up, they're able to kind of like get it past into laws and get their ideas like infiltrated throughout the school systems and all this kind of stuff and so but once the capitalists leave it really exposes the fallacy that like the entitlement programs the the crazy ideas that just like everyone is equal and and deserves equal everything it kind of like exposes the fallacy in that because it once the capitalists are not there to you know like um, extort their money like the people who are left are not making money they're not actually making the world turn and go around in, in a better place and so it's like there's no one to tax to fund your program so so your programs kind of fall apart and then like there's crises and like there's energy shortages and blackouts and brownouts and like the garbage isn't being taken care of anymore and and all of a sudden the like there's no more food supply chain issues and like currency like the financial system crashes and you know it's just like armageddon because the capitalists just leave and so the reason the book is called atlas shrugged is because it's based on the the mythological character uh, greek mythology atlas right it's the person who is the, the God who is um, cursed to hold the world, bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. And so you might have seen statues of him, right? It's just like this chiseled buff guy um, with the globe on his back, right? And that's, there's like this picture that, that we all think of when we think of Atlas. If you, if you haven't heard of Atlas, then Google you know, Atlas and you'll see 
images of a guy holding the world. Okay, so the book Atlas Shrugged is like you know the god Atlas just being tired of propping up the world, and so he just shrugs. He's like, no, I'm I'm done with this, <laughs> and he just like sets the world down and walks away. And that's like what's happening in the book is the capitalists who have been propping up the society one by one say this doesn't make any sense and you know the only reason I, I was staying is because I, I, I'm trying to fight for my freedom but then here comes this guy that says there's a secret you know basically society or like a sub country that I can run away to and, and be free there too amongst people who believe the way I believe and so I'm just going to you know jump ship <laughs> so all the capitalists like atlas they shrug they stop holding up the world um and so why i'm talking about this i'm going to bring this full circle to what we opened with when we talk about the blockchain is because ayn rand i thought is very insightful even for you know the 1950s when she writes this book she can foresee that if the trends she saw back then even still with like uh, you know, the, the government growing and um, maybe state government shrinking and a centralized national government growing, she saw problems in that. And so she just projected 50 years into the future and, and is writing this book on what would it be like if these trends continued. Um, but remember, this is... It, like I think she's really insightful in that like capitalists are going to leave at some point it will not be worth it to them to stay because capitalists stay in the society because for one that's where their market is that they're serving the people who are buying their products Two, um, they participate in a as citizens of a nation state and and so what does that nation state provide them in return for their ingenuity in their capitalism, right? Well, the nation state says, you know, like just think of the, the Constitution of the United States of America, right? Uh, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish, um, goodness, I don't know if you're the only one that sings the Kid House Rock song. <laughs> Uh, like we the people in order to form a perfect union uh, establish justice ensure domestic tranquility provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our prosperity to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America okay so like that's the preamble to the Constitution, um, thereby stating like the basically the purpose of the government is to provide for the common defense and to do to form some centralized functions, right? Like so, the the nation state, the government says, we want all of you to be citizens, all right, and you know we're gonna we're gonna provide some core services to you as citizens. To, to kind of make sure that society functions. And among those are going to be the common defense. So we're going to organize a, a militia or an army and, and it's going to protect from external forces. We're also going to organize, um, you know, police force and 
to protect and enforce laws to make sure life, you know, anyone in their own pursuit of happiness is not infringing on the freedoms of someone else. So they're not doing anything, um, you know, like, I'm not going to murder you, <laughs> okay? Like that, that's illegal. So like I, I'm taking away your freedom of life even if it makes me happy, right? It's like, I, that's a no-no. So we're gonna come up with laws to kind of protect um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay? And, and by the way, Thomas Jefferson was the one that uh, originally uh, heavily contributed to that last line, the pursuit of happiness. It actually was the pursuit of property. And uh, they changed it to happiness, but, but really there was a heavy discussion about should it be happiness or property? And so I think we, we so far removed from that conversation, we skew happiness to be like, well, I'm in the pursuit of happiness, just whatever makes me happy. I think the spirit of that statement is really, it's the pursuit of property. And if you have, if you have a sense of security, like I own this, like this is my little farm, this is my plot of land. Um, then I think in their vision, you can feel a sense of calm and peace, right? And, and happiness, okay? The American dream of just, you know, like I am producing on my farm and I'm contributing. I'm providing for my own needs on my farm and I'm producing even more so that I can share with my neighbors and my community. And as that idea matures, like we get into an industrialized era and so maybe you're not a farmer, but you're, you know, producing something, you're producing knowledge, you're producing a skill, you're producing a product or a widget or a whatever, right? And so it's like the same idea. All right, so the basic rights, right? The, the right of life, the right of liberty and the right of pursuit of property or happiness, okay? And so the government's going to provide for the common defense of these things. And so we enact laws, um, at a very high level to protect these rights, okay? So I can't, um, you know, I, I can't create, uh, I can't be a really crafty liar and produce a product that is like going to trick you into buying something. You know, like that makes sense that we have laws to kind of like flush out fraud. Or if you have a financial system that, you know, it's difficult for, the average person to understand, but yet they're gonna to go to you for a mortgage, there should be regulations that kind of protect the average uneducated person from like fraudulent mortgages or like subprime loans and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, um, so you, you see, if it's like a good reminder to just like understand where laws come from. It's like, it's meant to protect life, liberty, and pursuit of property or happiness. Uh, and And so, when, but over time, like when uh, a centralized government gets larger and larger and uh, takes on almost a force or identity of itself and forgets that it's a, a government of the people, by the people, for the people, right? And it's, it only exists to secure the blessings of liberty, <laughs> right? Like it only exists, it, like it is not, truly supposed to be an entity unto itself it's just an extension of all of us all of the citizens 
Um, and so, like, it becomes problematic when it, the government becomes really bloated. It has quite a bit of power. Uh, there's a, a huge disparity in knowledge between, you know, the government and the average person. Um, and it kind of takes on this interesting, you know, kind of power of its own. So Ayn Rand's capturing that in Atlas Shrugged, and, and you can see that in response to that, the producers leave. What Ayn Rand couldn't really grasp, I think she's right on that frustration in, in an exit, kind of an exodus of producers and capitalists, but what she couldn't really, you know, comprehend was that there was going to be the internet, which was like, like totally mind-blowing, game-changing. There's going to be, like with the advent of the internet, there's going to be the internet of things. And so now we have smartphones and Apple Watches and Aura Rings and, um, you know, a Nest home automation center, right? So you have like internet of things. Um, and then... Uh, there's now the advent of the blockchain, which is a groundbreaking technology that allows for the decentralization of a financial system. And why this is important, because it's coming full circle, like why this matters for sovereignty is that in Ayn Rand's limited understanding from like a 1950s perspective, she said, well, if a producer is getting frustrated they are going to leave you know the continental united states and and go travel to a, a different physical location they're going to form their own society and uh, because you know like that's just the only way that she could you know if they're going to make a mass exodus they have to make a physical exodus and leave and go somewhere else and um and in the book in doing so, she recognized, like, well, if you're doing that, then the currency, like the U.S. dollar, is going to be irrelevant in your new society. So you need a new currency, and so they do. They they go back to a hard form of currency, gold, and uh, and that's it. Like, in fact, the main character Daphne, when she finally infiltrates and and shows up in their new society, she she wants to have a meal, and so she goes to a restaurant. And uh, they say, yeah, it's going to be, I, I, you know, $10 or something. And so she's like, great. And she pulls out a $10 bill and they're like, that's no, that's no good here. She's like, what? And she's like, yeah, in our society, we've gone back to like the gold standard. So like, you know, we have gold coins. <laughs> and uh, so Daphne has to like, she has to perform some kind of form of labor and like raise enough money to pay off her hamburger. I can't remember exactly what it is but you get the idea so like Ayn Rand's like all right the producers are going to leave and go to another physical location but but in our modern society it's not necessarily what what they'll do or what and the reason I say this is because because of the advent of the blockchain and a decentralized way to do finance people in a time like in a, in a new way that's simpler and easier and more intuitive than ever before, you can change your dollars, your US dollars, which are you know, regulated and tracked and taxed, right? Um, you can trade those for a currency that's on the 
the blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum and uh, and because it's a decentralized network uh, it, it can't be regulated now <laughs> the, the governments around the world know this and it's been super alarming to them uh, because it's like it represents a huge um, like in the same way that when you read Atlas Shrugged the, in the same way that the government was alarmed that the capitalists were leaving and disappearing they're like oh no what we who are we gonna tax now <laughs> you know <laughs> where are they going the the you know modern governments and not not just the US government but all around the world like all of them recognize that this represents a huge um, like risk to their income like if if there's lots of dollars leaving circulation in the US economy and it's going on the blockchain and it's buying up Bitcoin then there's a massive amount of of wealth that they just can't track and are unaware of and uh, and so they, they view that as a problem but so why does all this matter because Iran couldn't foresee that Galt's Gulch isn't a physical location. Galt's Gulch is on the blockchain. It's a digital location. And so, it, you know, in your, your own personal quest for sovereignty or to become a sovereign family, you, you need to understand what the blockchain is. And are there a lot of scams and scamminess and crypto altcoin weird things yes yes there is you're absolutely right there is but you have to have the courage to 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 know where to look and find good information and find ways to get comfortable with it and understand it and go deep and and truly participate in it in a way that makes sense to you and in in today's world there's more ways to participate in the blockchain than just buying bitcoin or some you know strange cryptocurrency or something there's there's lots of ways um and, and so if, if that interests you at all like please send me a, send me a dm find a way to contact me uh, i'm on facebook and instagram and linkedin uh, i'd be happy to talk about it uh, it's really important for me to share this with you because um, what I don't want is like if you go back in Ayn Rand's story, and again, I think in some ways she's prophetic, right? Because there, there comes a turning point, right? Like one by one, the capitalists leave and go to Galt's Gulch. And at first, you, it's like society doesn't notice too much. And then it starts to have to sort of tighten its belt and it's kind of uncomfortable and, and that makes them wonder like, well, what's going on here? And then they kind of start to realize that the capitalists are vanishing, but the, the news keeps it hush hush and, and the government doesn't want to rock the boat or for anyone to panic. But then as more and more people go, it's like it reaches a tipping point where it, it just can't, like society is no longer sustainable and it's like Armageddon, right? Just eventually, all the dominoes start falling over. And so what I don't want is for certainly not me or my family, but anyone in the sound of my voice, anyone in my sphere of influence, I don't I don't want 
anyone to be caught unawares of this phenomenon that's happening. Um, because capitalists, and, and I'm aware of if you listen to the thought leaders, you know, the, the big thinkers, the, the really big influencers that have been around a long time. I'm not just talking about like the flash, the flash pan influencers like on TikTok gaining like a million followers in 30 days or something. No, I'm, I'm talking about people who have been around for like 30 years and, and they have millions of followers because those people have like tested their content for decades now and know that they know what they're talking about and, and they constantly interview people and they constantly read and they constantly test things and, and they have you know networks and tools and things that help them see and observe the world in ways that is really difficult for me or the average person to, right? So um, if you follow those big thinkers, they are all talking about it on all their podcasts. They mention it on their YouTube channels, on their Instagram feeds. They, they mention it in their, um, in their books that they're writing. And it's not, they don't mention it in a scammy sort of way, like trying to get you to buy into something or like invest in something or somehow send them more money. No, like all of them, they're seeing a movement. They're seeing how blockchain is changing fundamentally the way business is done and enterprise is done. They're seeing how, um, you know, they themselves are very wealthy and they know lots of wealthy people and they see a huge movement of money out of the US economy and into cryptocurrencies or, or projects tied to the blockchain or related to the blockchain. Um, and it's a movement reminiscent of Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged. So anyway, I bring this, I, I say this to you to say um, in the spirit of chasing sovereignty, becoming a sovereign individual and person, if you don't already know what the blockchain is, now is the time to start learning about it. Don't, don't waste any more time. Uh, and please send, send me a message. If, if I can be of service or help uh, on my own journey to understand the blockchain, I've met people myself that I'd be happy to refer you to or happy to share whatever information I, I have. And so anyway, tune in and uh, you know, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your attention. Hopefully this was a positive return on your attention and uh, have an awesome day.